Good morning, everyone. Hey, my name is Adam, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We are kicking off a new series called In Tune. I've heard it said before that if God feels distant, God isn't the one who moved. And even if you've been a Christian for a while, I'm sure you can relate to having those moments where you feel close and connected to God, and also those times where you feel like God is more distant and you have trouble feeling that close relationship with him. And so we want to use this series to talk about how we can get more connected with God and be in tune with him. And we believe that this is possible because of what it says in James 4.8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And so wherever you're at in your journey of faith, I believe that we all have a next step in drawing closer to God. Now this morning, we're going to have some interaction to start out with. So I need to know that you are with me. Y'all with me? All right, good stuff. So how many of you feel like life is busy? Go ahead and raise your hand if you feel like life is busy. If you're not raising your hand, you're either lying or you have the best schedule ever, <laughs> one or the other. So this is where I need some interaction. I need you to tell me what are some of the things that make life so busy? So one at a time, just shout them out, and I'm going to write them down on this board here. Work, Work yes. Kids, school, yeah, I'm going to say projects, what are some other ones, yes, family, cleaning, yeah, all right, we'll stop right there, so how many hours a week do you think most of us give to these things? So like work, most of us, it's probably 40 to 60 hours, maybe give or take, depending on what you do. Kids, how many hours a week do you think you give to kids? Every hour. Every, every hour. Uh, all right, I keep asking this. How many hours are in a week? Do anybody know? 168? All right. 160. That's how much time kids take. School, how many hours a week for school do you think? Eight hours a day, probably. Yeah, so we're going to say, yeah, 40 hours a week for school. Projects, we'll say like house chores, things you're working on. Five, five to ten, right? Fifteen. All right, all right, I'm hearing Fifteen. All right, we're going to say this is taking care of family. This is like family get-together time. What do you think that is? Five. Anybody else? We'll try to get an average here. Ten. Five to ten. All right. Fifteen. All right, we're, so we'll say ten is right there in the middle. Cleaning, house chores, all of that kind of stuff. Every day. Twenty. All right, that is a lot of stuff. So even if this is all that you had going on in your life, it's pretty busy, right? And there's things that we do on a regular basis that take up our time and we don't even realize how much time it accumulates throughout the week. So let me give you just a few examples, starting with the toilet. Now, 
how many hours a week do you think the average person spends using the toilet? Too many. Five hours? Five hours a day? Oh my goodness. Does he, does he like Mexican food? <laughs> All right. Cool. Let's see what the average is. An hour and 42 minutes a week. Now, with this next one, I'm just going to pick on the ladies in the room here, all right? How many hours a week, and I'm assuming it's hours, do you spend picking out clothes? Two hours. I hear too many. All right. We're going to gotta make a rule that only, wife, only women can speak up on this one, all right? One hour. A week or a day? A week. All right. All right. So let's see what the average is. About two hours, believe it or not. All right, here's another one. Finding something to watch. 16? Woo-hoo. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, we all know what it's like. All right, let's hear it. That's true. That's true. You spend more time watching stuff you're not even interested in. Because we all know what it's like to spend more time looking for something to watch than actually watching something. But the added up time throughout a week is usually about 51 minutes for most people. So so here's the last one, eating. How many hours a week do you think most people spend eating? Five hours. A week. 20. Seven? All right, all right. So... Most people spend about eight hours in 12 minutes. So all of that to say, life is pretty busy, and you don't even need to hear that from me. But this next question, I don't want you to answer out loud. Just kind of answer this quietly in your minds. About how many hours a week do you give to connecting with God? Whether that's through going to church, being part of a small group, reading the Bible, or praying. And some of you might be thinking that this, this is the time in your life where you're closer to God than you've ever been. And others of you maybe are like, oh man, I give more time to the toilet or to eating than I give to God. And so all of that brings us to this one question that I want to tackle this morning. And that is, how do we draw near to God when life is so busy? Because maybe you're thinking that you are just to the max right now, and you can't even imagine adding just one more thing to your busy schedules to even try to connect with God. And even if you have good intentions, it stresses you out just to think about it. So how do we draw near to God when life is so busy? And the good news is I think that the Bible can give us the answer to that question. And so this morning... We are going to talk about something that we don't normally talk about, and that is fasting. Now, maybe you're thinking, hey, wait a minute. Is fasting even for Christians today? Like, is that something that's just kind of outdated? But believe it or not, the Bible actually talks more about fasting than baptism. So I don't think we should be too quick to discount the value of fasting Fasting is the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. And throughout this message, I'm going to be talking about fasting from food because that's what the Bible talks most about. 
But then at the end of this message, we'll talk about a broader application than that. But there's no command in the Bible to fast. You couldn't find a verse that says, thou shalt fast. But Jesus gave instructions to his followers in how to fast. And when Jesus did that, he said, when you fast, do it this way. And so Jesus assumes that his followers are already fasting. And we have the example of people in the Old Testament fasting. And we even have the example of Jesus himself fasting. And so that's what we're going to take a look at this morning in Matthew chapter 4. So if you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1, reading about Jesus fasting in the wilderness. We also have it up here on the screen for you to follow along. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I grew up in church my entire life, and all throughout my upbringing, I don't think that anybody really taught me about fasting. And I wasn't encouraged to do it. And even though I knew what fasting was, I was thinking, man, I think I can serve God better if I'm not hangry. Because that's how I get when I don't eat enough food. So maybe fasting is good for other people, but not for me. And so for most of my life, I have not even really tried fasting, or at least for a spiritual reason. Up until recently, this is something that we've been talking about as a staff at Bridgewater. This is something that we talked about in student ministry. And then as I was working on the message for this morning, I was like, I can't talk about fasting if this isn't part of my life. And so this is something that I did this week in giving up a few meals in order to connect with God. Let me tell you, that was a big deal for me because I have trouble making it just four hours without eating food. Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights without eating anything. And I used to think that that was just a Jesus thing. Like Jesus can turn wine or water into wine. Jesus could walk on water. Jesus can go 40 days without eating any food. But I looked it up on the internet and found out that a healthy adult can go one to two months without eating food. Pretty crazy, right? So the big question is, why would Jesus go into the wilderness and fast for 40 days and 40 nights? Was Jesus just a picky eater and he didn't want to eat what was available to him in the wilderness? Or is there some correlation between how hungry you are and how connected to God you are? A lot of people look at fasting this way, where it's like the more hungry you are, the more spiritual you are. And this is a common misconception about fasting, because I don't think that this is what the Bible talks about. And so I want to go back to that question, why was Jesus fasting in the wilderness? And let's go back to verse 1, read through this passage again, and try to answer that question. So it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we see from the first verse here that Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And Satan tempted Jesus by trying to get him to turn stones into bread. Now, why was it such a big deal to turn stones into bread? After all, Jesus turned water into wine. How is that much different? And is it really a sin to eat when you're hungry? And I think we can find the answer to those questions in what Jesus said to Satan. And we even see what fasting is all about in Jesus's answer here. So Jesus said to Satan, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was fasting in the wilderness in order to focus on the fact that he needs a close relationship with God more than he needs food. Food is sustenance for the body, but the words of God are sustenance for the soul. And Satan was trying to get Jesus to desire food more than having a desire for God. And that's why it would have been wrong for Jesus to turn those stones into bread because he had made that commitment to focus on God and make God the highest desire in his life more than food. And I think the takeaway for us is fasting reminds us our greatest need is God. And every time that I'm hungry, the thought that is on my mind is, I need food. But if I'm making the choice to fast from food, when I have that pain in my stomach and that thought in my mind of, I need food, that can actually serve as a reminder to think, yeah, I need food. But more than food, I need God. And the other thing with fasting is it's a choice to not do something that you normally do. It's a choice to not give time to something that you normally give time to. It's a choice to not give energy to something that you normally give energy to. And you can use your time and energy that you would be given to that other thing to give to connecting with God. It's like if you have a half hour lunch break and you choose not to eat during your break, well, now you have 30 minutes in order to connect with God or do something differently. But there has to be a spiritual purpose to our fast. Otherwise, we're just going through the motions and it doesn't make anything better. If there is no spiritual focus to our fast, then I think that this is all we are accomplishing. (laughs) The more hungry you become, probably the less people want to hang out around you. And so this isn't the purpose of fasting. We need to use that time and that energy to connect with God. And there's a bunch of different ways that you can do that. But this morning, I just want to highlight prayer. Because all throughout the Bible, you see a bunch of examples of fasting and prayer going together. Here's just a few examples In the book of Ezra, it says that they prayed and they fasted so that God would give them safe travel. And then in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah's brother comes to him 
and tells him that the city of Jerusalem is laying in a heap of rubble, that Jerusalem is a disgrace. And this is Nehemiah's homeland, and so he fasts and he prays. And the cool thing about this story is God actually uses Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And then we have a New Testament example in Acts 13.3, where a group of Christians pray for Saul and Barnabas, and they fast, and then they send out Paul and Barnabas to go on this missionary journey. And so we have this example in the Bible. And the takeaway for us is that prayer fills the void that fasting creates. When we fast, we're saying no to doing something that we normally do. We create this space in our schedule where we can fill that space with prayer. And over the last week, I've been reading this book called A Praying Life. I'm reading this for a men's group, and I'm only part of the way through it, but it is in my opinion, the best book on prayer that I've ever read. And I know Kurt would say the same thing, that it's his favorite as well. And there's this one quote in the book that really resonates with me, and that is, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. We are so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments, production, but prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless, as if we're wasting our time, and every bone in our body screams, get to work. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but I definitely feel it. And this isn't the only thing that makes prayer so hard in our American culture. I think that today, because of all of the modern conveniences of life that we get to experience It makes it hard for us to depend on God. It's hard to pray, give us this day our daily bread, when we are confident that we can put food on the table without God's help. Or when hard times come in our life or our health is failing, sometimes we just run to hospitals and medicine instead of turning in prayer to God. Or we just go about our lives oblivious to the fact that there's Christians in other countries who are being persecuted for their faith. So we, we don't even think to pray for the spread of the gospel around the world. And this is something that I really struggle with, probably just as much as anybody else. And so in January, I picked one word to focus on for the rest of this year. And that one word was to depend to depend on God. Because so often I can just try to do things in my own strength and according to my own abilities. And at best, I'll see the results of doing things in my own strength. But I want to rely on God's strength and see what God can do through his strength in my personal life, in my marriage, in my church, in my community, and around the world. And believe it or not, Jesus is actually the best example of living a life that is dependent on God, which maybe sounds a little crazy because after all, Jesus is God. You wouldn't think that he would have to depend on anyone. But check out these verses in John 5, 30. It says, by myself, I can do nothing. Those are bold words from the mouth of Jesus. He says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, 
but him who sent me. And then in this other passage, it says, they did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And then in this other passage, it says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus depended on God the Father for the words that came out of his mouth. Jesus depended on God the Father for the things that he would do, his actions, his miracles, his teachings, and all of that. And I also believe that Jesus depended on God the Father even to meet his earthly needs. And so because Jesus was so dependent on God the Father, Jesus prayed, and Jesus prayed a lot. Jesus had such a close connection with God the Father. Jesus never knew what it was like to have any distance in that connection with God the Father, at least until he died on the cross. And when Jesus was hanging up there on the cross, taking upon himself the punishment for our sin, experiencing the wrath of God, he also experienced separation from God for the first time ever. And up there on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that was the worst part of Jesus' crucifixion. It wasn't the slander that he endured. It wasn't the torture. It wasn't hanging up there on the cross. It was being forsaken by the Father, experiencing the punishment that all of us deserve to pay. And even just thinking about that moment before Jesus even went to the cross, it brought him such sorrow and agony. And so I want to turn in our Bibles now to this passage in Matthew where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before this moment of going to the cross. And we just get a window into his prayer life with God the Father. So in Matthew chapter 26... And in verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And after Jesus prayed this first time, he went back to the disciples and found that the disciples had fallen asleep. So he woke them up. And then skipping down to verse 42, it says, He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Now there is no one 
who has walked the face of this earth, who's ever had a closer relationship with God the Father than Jesus himself. And so I think that there is a lot that we can learn from the example of Jesus here in this passage and seeing the way that he prays to God the Father. So I just want to bring up three observations that I see in this passage. The first one is Jesus just talked to God about what was on his mind. Jesus had the courage to ask God if there is a different way to offer salvation to the world. He's like, please, let's make it a different way than going to the cross and experiencing this abandonment. And there was no booming voice from heaven that said, hey, don't ask for that. And I think oftentimes we don't pray to God because we don't want to share with God how we really think and how we really feel. We feel like maybe if we were to do that, then those would be the kinds of prayers that we're not even allowed to pray in church. But let me give you two examples of different kinds of relationships that all of us have. All of us have relationships with people that we don't know as well, and they're just extra formal, and we're extra polite with these people, and the conversation is kind of on the surface level. It's kind of like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. It's so nice to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. And like, oh, that's it. Extra polite, extra formal. Then we have other people in our lives, and if they ask how we're doing, we tell them how we're really doing. And it's just kind of like, and it all comes out. We tell them how we really think, how we really feel. And it's like we don't have that be polite filter because we're not afraid that they're going to judge us for some out loud processing. Now, between these two kinds of relationships, the formal and polite relationship or the comfortable and informal relationship, what kind of relationship do you think is closer? Probably these people here, that you can just share what is on your mind. And I think that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. He doesn't want us just coming to church and saying nice, polite prayers and saying all the right kinds of words. God wants us to share what is on our hearts, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if there is anyone that we can really share those things with and take those things to, that's God, and he wants to have that place in your life. The other observation I have in this passage is that Jesus made his request to God, and then he ended his prayer with saying, your will be done. Jesus had the faith that God could have made a different way to offer salvation, but Jesus left it in God's hands, and he trusted God's answer, even if God's answer was going to be no or not yet. And I think that's a lesson for us when we pray, to have the faith that God can do whatever he wants, but to trust that his judgment is better than our judgment, and to be okay with whatever his answer is, whether it is no or not yet. And the other observation in this passage and this is something that I haven't really noticed before. But Jesus prayed the same thing three times. And after praying the first time, Jesus wasn't like, ah, I already prayed for that. Maybe I'll do it again tomorrow. He kept on praying to God. And I think that this 
is such an important example for our lives. I heard it said once that if you think about it, pray about it. And this is especially applicable when we're struggling with worry and anxiety and the things that are just kind of weighing us down because we can pray about those things once, but more often than not, it's, it's not gonna just take away all of that anxiety, all of that worry just with praying about it once, at least not every time. And sometimes we need to keep on praying to God and just handing over our worry and anxiety, the things that are weighing us down, putting, taking those off of our shoulders and putting them into God's hands. And that can mean praying multiple times a day the same prayer. So those are all of my observations from this passage. And I just want to wrap things up this morning with going back to the question that we started with. And that is, how do we draw near to God when life is so crazy busy? And there's a bunch of ways that you can probably do that. But one way is to fast, to stop doing something that you normally do in order to use that time and energy to connect with God through prayer. And up to this point, we've been talking about fasting from food. And I know that that's not really a healthy thing to do for everybody here in this room. But I think that the application can extend beyond food. And maybe what God wants for you is to fast from something else in your life. Maybe that means a fast from doing some household things. Maybe it means a fast from taking on extra work. Maybe it's a fast from entertainment or reading a book or connecting with friends. And it's not that those are bad things. But a principle of life is if we are saying yes to doing something with our time, we are by implication saying no to doing something else with our time. Like the fact that I'm here with you this morning means that I'm saying no to sleeping in. It means that I'm saying no to going to the gym. And I think a lot of us will say yes to all these other things in life, things that aren't necessarily bad, but we say yes to time with kids. We say yes to reading a book, yes to rest and relaxation. We say yes to more work, more responsibilities, hanging out with friends. And by implication, we're saying no to connecting with God. And so my challenge for you this week is to break that flow in your life and to say no to something so that you can say yes to quality time with God through prayer. And I really believe that if we can make this a practice in our lives, that it can help us to draw near to God even when life is really busy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are such an awesome God. I can't even wrap my mind around your glory and your splendor. I can't even understand the depth of your love. And God, so often, instead of seeking you as my greatest desire, I get so distracted by these other things in life. But God, I pray for all of us here this morning that we would seek you above all else even if that means stopping doing something that we normally do. I ask that we would fast in some way in order to connect with you, and I ask that we wouldn't do it just because we talked about it in church or out of a sense of guilt, just to get it over with as like a one-time thing, 
But God, I ask that you would just stir in us a desire to know you deeper and to treasure you above all else. I ask that you would help us to build patterns in our lives of seeking you and growing closer to you. So I know that's what we were created to do. So help us to get back to that. And I ask that we would know you deeper and that we would be so satisfied in you. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.